If you want to sort it out, find me. You didn't find me. You could have fought me and you didn't. If you want to find me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. Your line of questioning isn't, it, it isn't uh, conducive to a good interview. Why is that? It just isn't. It's not going anywhere. You're asking me this, it's, 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 this is... What's wrong with that line of questioning? It's unfair. In my prime, I spanked him. Yeah, How did he gonna be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him? I could have beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you serious, no. James Tony? You never give me a fair shake. HBO needs to fire you. You don't know about boxing. You ain't So I hadn't... Jesus, I hadn't planned on doing an episode. For any number of reasons. One... Your days are a nightmare when you're fasting, so you're basically depleted by the time you get to 6, 7 o'clock and you're irritable. And you've got nothing nice to say at that point. So I thought, why record? You know, layer that on top of work and stuff. And I thought, no, let me just ride out the next couple of weeks and then I'll be back firing on all cylinders. You know, you, you get to eat once a day. You mean, you're taking in two or three litres of fluid, so you're sleeping essentially you mean you're sleeping like a hippo essentially with a bloated belly and stuff and it's not ideal but it's the way that I mean you've got to just help your recovery because I'm still training while I do this so then I said what's going to make me want to record depleted and everything and I kind of tracked it and it's like would it be the zone no would it be Chisora Parker nah and to be honest with you guys, because you're, you're, you're the audience and, you know, for these 30-something minutes that I record, I'm your servant. I was going to do something on Denzel. And I might still discuss that today, but it's tricky because, as you all know, Denzel's someone I've got a lot of love and respect for. So it's to what extent do I want to talk before he's had a chance to talk. It's tricky. But there are some things I do want to say because I think it's informative for other boxers who listen to build on that. But what really drove me, what really triggered me to, to front up today was when I saw the Emma Williams Instagram message. It broke my heart, to be honest with you. When a young man, he can't be more than 24, 25 years old. When a young man like that is saying, I need to take time away from boxing to heal mentally, to preserve my mental health. It, it hits differently. Because think about, think about our daily lives, the things we love, whether it's football, basketball, it might just be going out for drinks, Things you love, and when you do them, they make you feel good. Now imagine having to stop doing the thing that makes you feel good, the thing that gives you purpose, the thing you look most forward to in the day. Imagine having to give that up because it's damaging your mental health. How have we got to a point in boxing where young men in their early 20s are stumbling. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean that in the sense that there's something in the game right now that's stretching these young, talented men beyond maybe where they should be at that age. And until we're honest and until we're mature about discussing mental health, until we have these discussions about 
how tough it is in boxing, we're going to keep getting situations like this. And not only that, we're going to get people on Twitter making out as if it's a sign of weakness, which is absolutely insane. So let's just set the scene. We've had Ryan Garcia come out and say, I'm not going to fight Javier Fortuna in July because I want to take some time away to heal. I'm paraphrasing at this point, but you know, life can get on top of you. It's fully understood. To be followed in like rapid succession by Ryan Garcia, and not Ryan Garcia, sorry, Amo Williams, Austin Amo Williams. Remember, these are just the ones that we see. Now, I can tell you a number of people who have had issues, who have struggled, like boxing does that to you. So you ask why. Think about Austin Williams. Seven years ago, the kid wasn't boxing. I might be wrong on that. It's roughly that. He wasn't boxing. Went into a gym. Turned out to be pretty good at it. Turned out he was quite a mean guy in the ring. He could really fight. The Americans use that expression, he's a dog. You've got to respect that. You know, he's out of Texas. They build him tough in Texas, and he could box. Ryan Garcia, 2014, young kid, boxing Devin Haney, up and down the, up and down the horn, win some, lose some. Dreams of making the 2016 Olympics. Or maybe 2020. Don't, don't quote me on that. But you've got two young kids who, through the power of social media, have become stars in the world of boxing. Through the power of social media. Not, not a gradual run through the amateurs up to the, to the Olympics, small hall shows. No slow build up here. Build a massive following, make a lot of noise, get signed. That's the model now. So here's the problem with that model. You go from boy to man overnight. You sign that contract with Oscar. You sign that contract with Eddie. You've got big boy expectations on you. You've got to drive value. You've got to drive numbers. What does that mean? You have to always be on social media. Do this shoot. Do that shoot. Do the sparring video. Put it out. Like Ryan Garcia was doing all sorts of stuff. Gymshark, this brand, that brand, working with famous people. I was looking at that as a guy that's been involved, involved in the sport going, this doesn't end well. You cannot please two masters. And boxing is the most demanding of masters or mistress, depending on which way you want to call it. You cannot please two. I guarantee that. That's why you find that people who love to party tend to struggle in the long, long run in boxing because you can't, please two, you can't please two factions. You have to commit to one wholeheartedly. And so you could see that he, Ryan Garcia was doing a little bit too much. And you wondered at that point who was talking to him, who was checking that the way he's behaving is congruent with who he is. And it's the same with Austin Williams. So I remember him and I, like, we'd share messages and voice notes probably from when he started boxing through till his first couple of fights on Matchroom. And such a good kid. And the reason we started talking was 
you know what I mean? He was just keen, like he was just a boxing nerd and all that sort of stuff. And then I remember one day he saw that I had the ammo gloves and I was trying to hook him up. I mean, like I thought that would be a good partnership because I thought the kid would go far. He looked like he'd make the Olympics. He had that sort of talent. Nice guy, humble, really, really humble, which is why when I saw the, the fight persona kick in, it didn't feel congruent. And when things don't match up with who you are, it doesn't end well. Mike Tyson's a living example of what happens when who you are and what you become deviate. Same with Riddick Bowe. It doesn't end well. And so, who's to blame? It's not about who's to blame, but we have to understand as boxing fans that we demand these guys do these things. I'm not going to buy your tickets if you're not active on social media. Now, okay, you, I've, you've got me on social media, cool, but now I've got to clown around and I've got to do all the stuff that I don't want to do, but I have to do it for you. It's a new kind of pressure. You know, these rules are being written as we speak. And the tragedy is, We've got casualties like Ryan Garcia and Amo Williams. Young Otha Jones III seems to be having a rough time of it as well because go back to him pre-debut and he was one of Eddie Hearn's darlings, if you remember. Eddie doesn't mention him now. Imagine going from nothing to something back down to nothing. Now, I can't remember if it was Otha Jones III or Amo Williams that was flying around with Eddie Hearn in the private jet. But imagine going from that to being ignored. You've got high off the fix of, oh, this is the high life. This is what professional boxers get. And then all of a sudden, you're back in your dusty gym sparring, not knowing when you're out next. And they're offering you fights that don't make any sense just because they need you to do something that you don't want to do. And so what happens? These young men struggle. The same way that young men listening to this potentially struggle too. Life is hard. They never tell us this when we're young. Life is hard because your commitments don't go away. What you owe never goes down. It only ever goes up. And it's hard. Are you good enough? Are you a fraud in this sport? Are you a fraud in life? You get promoted in your own life and you go, do I deserve this job? Are they going to find out that I blagged it on my CV? All of these things that people go through. Does my wife love me for who I am? Or is she just here for, the, for appearances? All of these questions you wrestle with. And it's not just men that go through this, it's women. What am I going to be like as a mother? Am I going to be like my mum? Am I going to be a single mum? If I am, what are people going to think about me? You know, I'm 35 years old. I don't look as good as I did at 25. I'm not getting the same male attention. It's, it's affecting me. It's affecting my self-esteem. Every aspect in life, all of these things, they touch you. Boxers are no different. Boxers generally aren't braver than the average citizen, right? Remember this. Most people box, and it's just a habit. They're used to it. In the same way, so if someone said to me, do I think the average boxer is tougher than a Danny Watley? Mentally, no. Not really. If Danny Watley had started boxing at 11, I imagine 
he'd be a pretty good boxer. Do I think some of these boxers do stuff that is far more pressured than what Matt Skelton does as a cab driver? If I say to Matt Skelton, I mean, I need to go from Upper Richmond Road all the way up to West Green Road in Tottenham, and he's going to get me there with no U-turns, and he's just got to remember that in his head. That's pressure. But he pulls it off. Boxers' lives are no harder than our own lives. So where we struggle, they struggle. They're not supermen. Where we struggle, they struggle. So my request to everyone is, let's all be fans of boxing. And let's understand that when someone does show that things are getting on top of them, it's not a sign of weakness. It's just reality. You cannot be on it 100% of the time. And I hope we see these guys soon. I hope we see Ryan Garcia pretty soon. I hope we see Emma Williams pretty soon. And I hope they go on to have the careers they deserve. Because they're putting it on the line to entertain you. That comes with a price. I don't know if anyone's ever watched a documentary. There's a documentary about ice hockey players. And it talks about the enforcers. And so basically you get these mild-mannered guys who are big. And they end up being the enforcer in the team. Now, they may not be violent people, but the public have that pressure. Like, they know you've got to fight at least once every game. A lot of these guys turn to alcohol, painkillers. They became addicted because they were medicating the pain of being put in positions they never wanted to be in. Maybe that's what we're seeing with these guys. And no, it's not enough to say, well, if they can't cope with the pressure, should they really be boxers? It's not so much that. It's who could cope with the pressure? Who can cope with the pressure of having to grow their fan base from 2 million followers to 4 million followers? That's crazy. Stunt after stunt, event after event, podcast after podcast, just whatever, just having to stay active when sometimes all you want to do is be at home with your friends and be a young man. I feel for these guys. I just think the way promoters are trying to squeeze every last penny out of the sport, the boxers are suffering. And all I can do is pray that we see these guys have the careers they deserve. When it comes to this sport, yeah. the hardest part for me has always been dealing with defeat. In everything I've done in life that I've participated in, if I've lost, I've lost, and I can live with that. When you're banging the drum for someone else, when you're training someone else, when you're involved in the success of somebody else, those losses hurt more. Nothing hurt me more than watching Denzel on Saturday. Nothing. On Saturday night, I wasn't a boxing fan. I'm a friend. I'm watching a friend that I know is talented, that I know is skilled, that I know can go all the way. And I watch this friend get failed. He was failed. He was failed by everything around him. You, you, sign, you sign a fighter up to defend his British title and to unify. And then you do nothing to ensure that he's in the best possible position to win. He wasn't long back from Africa where he'd been doing wonderful things for British boxing, by the way. You know, Denzel was a fantastic ambassador for British boxing. He, he wasn't the only British boxer out there in Ghana, but he looked like he was the one doing the most work. 
Now, whether that's the right thing to do or not, let's have a discussion about that. But he, he did what he was supposed to do as champion, right? You go out there and you inspire the next generation. So kudos to him. But when he comes back, it is on Frank to say to the board, listen, I know you want to do this unification in April, but can we do it in June? Frank Warren, man, the board will say yes. They could have easily done that. Had there been compassion, they would have done that. They would have let him get the weights off. It would maybe even let him have a quick four-six rounder, loosen up, whatever, let him the exhibition. It would have given him the best possible chance to win. I don't believe his training team set up a camp that enabled him to win. Because everyone else was sparring. There was hard sparring happening all around the country and Denzel wasn't part of that. You can't keep stuff in house when you get to British level. There's no one in that stable who's going to give him the work that he needs consistently. Because they're all friends. You need hostile sparring. He should have been jumping in with the guys of the caliber of like a Eubank Jr. I'd have even asked Mark Heffron for a few rounds. Do you know, but there isn't this kind of foresight. And so Denzel goes into this fight against Felix Cash. And let's be clear, Felix Cash has been sort of top end of the British, middle of the range for European for about two and a half, two and a half three years. Denzel's just arrived at British level. I don't care what anyone tries to say. And like I said, he's someone I respect a lot, but he's only just arrived at British level. Why not let him mature? Because when you mature and you have that confidence, you box differently. But that's what happens when you get let down. But, and I, and I said this about everybody else, when you see it happen to Daniel Dubois, when you see it happen to Anthony Yard, at some point you have to say to yourself, I can't let that happen to me. This is for every boxer out there. You've got to be watching what's happening in British boxing and you need to say, I can't leave it to chance. I can't rely on my trainer to know everything that I'm going to need. Therefore, it's on me to make sure that I have that around me. And do you know the best example of that? Anthony Olua Femi Olexa Gun Joshua. I don't know, man. Why did I just say that? <laughs> Anthony Joshua is an amazing example of that. If you think, for years Joshua wanted something different in his camp. But while he was winning, it was hard to persuade people that it was time for change. But he used that defeat as an opportunity to, to take back control because he had the moral imperative. So he could get Joby Clayton in, a guy he'd wanted to work with for a while. He could get Angel Fernandez in, a guy he'd been interested in for a while. And through that, he's able to develop his skill set. Joshua looks a different boxer now. Do I think he's fury level, elusive and skillful? No, but he's a lot better than the guy that fought Parker. He took control of his career back. Boxers need to take control of their career back. Your trainer is not the difference between you winning and losing. You are. And this is a lesson all boxers have to learn. And here's what I will say. Denzel will be back. Denzel will be better. Denzel will be different. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he recovers from that. Because for me, they're the ones that hurt the most. 
when I can see everything was against you. It's unfair. But boxing is often unfair. And it's how you make peace with that and maximize it to your opportunity. But everyone, do me a favor. Message him, man. If you're a Denzel Bentley fan, message him and say, we're still riding with you, champ. Come back better. Come back stronger. Come back harder. We don't do that often enough in boxing. And we don't mean it anywhere near as much as we should. And we should be saying that to these boxers. Come back stronger. Come back better. You know, you can do this. That's how fans are. When your football team loses, you don't write them off. You're like, right, next Saturday, do it all again. And that's the mindset we've got to have with our boxers. So I now wish all the best to, to Denzel and, you know, onwards and upwards. Whew, jeez, let me lighten the mood up a bit. I'm sorry, guys. Like, that was, yeah, that's a dark 20 minutes. Apologies for that. But I wanted to lighten it up and some stuff that people have been asking me via Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, the usual. Thank you for all the new followers and all the new listeners. Um, we're doing, you know, different levels of numbers now, so I'm grateful for that. You know, I never forget the guys who have been there from episode one, so I love you guys too. But question number one, what's happening with Fury Joshua? Honestly, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what's real and what's fake anymore. Because Fury's known for playing games, right? But then Fury's also known for being dead serious. But there's something off here. Like, when I heard the rumors of a $150 million site fee, I was confused. And here's why I was confused. You're only bidding $150 million if you have to, right? You bid $40 million for Joshua Ruiz too. I don't believe for one second this was a competitive process because they've been talking about Saudi and the Middle East for ages. And when you sort of go through the Middle East, you're not going to do it in Qatar just because they're in a bad place diplomatically and like, that wouldn't be a good look for Eddie. Like, Saudi Arabia is in a dark place for human rights reasons. Qatar is like you know, in a tough place diplomatically, which is, you don't want to be there. So then that leaves somewhere like, what, Abu Dhabi? They don't need it. And then that just kind of leaves a shoot-up between Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, uh, Dubai and Saudi Arabia. I don't believe Dubai would have paid $150 million. They don't need it. So on what basis is Saudi paying $150 million when they're kind of the only, the only horse in the race? Vegas haven't got that kind of money. So I don't believe that it's $150 million. I think that number's vastly exaggerated. I believe if I were to estimate what you'd want to pay, you might put a 50% premium on what you paid for Joshua Ruiz too. But even then, how on earth are you going to justify spending that? Because you've got to make your money back somewhere. This is what people don't understand. You don't just give tens of millions of pounds to someone to say we had the event here. Like, no one's ego is that stupid. Right? What, to have an event in a country you normally leave in the summer to go somewhere cooler? So you're going to stay there. Right? It's unlikely that the Middle East are going to allow many foreign travelers. So Britain and the United States, nah, unlikely. So now you've got to sell your event in your local market. What does that do? That doesn't do anything for you. So my point is, it doesn't make sense for anyone to be paying $150 million for Fury Joshua. So I don't believe that's true. 
And I also believe were that true, Hearn would have bitten their hand off and the contracts would have been done by now. So I don't believe that's true. My suspicion is everyone's dragging this out. That's what I feel at the moment. And I feel the only person who wants this fight to happen in July is Eddie Hearn. I think Joshua might be looking at it going, well, if I'm going to fight Fury and I've got all these fighters on my stable, why wouldn't I do this as a whole 25-8 thing? Why, why wouldn't I do that on my side of the line? I already have a deal with Sky as a broadcaster. I could do a deal with Showtime for a pay-per-view. I could do a deal with ESPN for a pay-per-view. My international rights are mine. Joshua could do that. Hearn wants it now because as people realize he's got one fight left with AJ. I think it's one fight. And he doesn't want it to be against Usyk. Fine. So when we look at this fight and we break it down and we say, so who's incentivized by this fight happening now? Not Fury. Fury's rusty. Fury, and from what I can see, Fury's preparing for a lesser opponent right now. Joshua looks like he's kind of preparing for, for Tyson Fury, but more in a long-term way. I don't think this is the camp where he's actually preparing for that. So I don't know what to make of it. I think it's all a bit of a mess. I do know that if the fight's not announced in the next 10 days, it's unlikely to happen when Hearn says, because you're going to need the 12-week camp for this one. You're not, this isn't an eight-week camp job. The fight's too big for that. And looking at the, the respective camps right now, Fury hasn't got anyone Joshua-like in his stable right now to be sparring regularly. It just looks like he's acclimatizing, he's glad-handing, and, you know, he's ticking over. That's what that feels like. It's the same with Joshua. It feels like he's ticking over too, which is good for the guys he's ticking over with because their social media profiles are going up. But none of it feels serious, nor does it have to be, until we get to the end of the first week in May. Then it has to be serious. That's when we'll know whether this fight's on or not. Because otherwise everyone's just playing the public and they're dragging it out and then one day they announce it and we're all meant to celebrate. Quite frankly, I'm bored of this saga. I'm more excited by watching Wilder and Malik Scott right now than I am about Joshua versus Fury, which is a sad state of affairs for boxing. But no, in response to the question, I'm still on the it won't happen side of the fence. But I'm happy to be proved wrong because then at least we get our fight. But I still find it hard to believe that it's that hard to make this fight happen. I don't see what the barriers are. I genuinely don't. You know, what do you mean like you're on the fourth version of the contract with Saudi Arabia? They're the only people that are going to offer you that kind of money. Like, they'll tell you. I mean, you, got to, you can't negotiate terms when there's one person. Like, they dictate the terms. But let's see. Let's see what happens with that. I'm just not... I'm not convinced, but then I'm also not interested. And this is what happens when you drag things out longer than you needed to. And all of this links beautifully into the shenanigans at, at BT Sport and whether BT Sport will sell, will sell basically. Well, BT will sell the sports franchise. I've done numerous episodes where I've said sport was a bad fit for BT. BT are a telecoms company. And not only that, they're a telecoms infrastructure company. And then even deeper than that, they're a B2B telecoms infrastructure company. Like the retail side, BT could do without. It's not even really, it's not core to its business anymore. 
while we remember the Bob Hoskins adverts, it's good to talk and all of that stuff. The reality is BT make more money from large corporates and they make more money outside of the UK than they do in the UK. So the sport thing was meant to be driving broadband adoption by people. Their broadband wasn't amazing. So actually having all of that paraphernalia like football and rugby, it's not a good fit for them. So when you break down BT Sport, you look and you go, okay, they've got a fixed TV presence, right? So you can find a BT Sport channel. They've got an app. They've got sports rights. They've got expertise in delivering sports now because they're experienced. The guys in BT Sport understand the UK sport market. That makes this a highly attractive acquisition. Now, if I didn't think it would be classed as anti-competitive, I'd say Sky would probably just buy them up, just get an extra million subscribers. Why not? But then there'd be some overlap. Some of the BT Sport guys already have Sky Sports, so it's not necessarily as clean as that. So maybe Sky aren't that interested, but it would make sense for Sky to just clean that up. People say Amazon. I still don't think Amazon are fully convinced about the power of sport to drive users to their prime platform. It's still more about getting the, the quick delivery than it is about the content. So we look at Disney+. Plus. I, Disney could have been in the UK a long time ago. I don't think that works for them. They'd rather just have a presence in the UK selling their their UK sport uh, their US sports estate than anything else. They'd probably make just as much money doing that. And that leaves one four-lettered monster, DAZN. It ticks every box. You get prestigious content, Premier League, Champions League, uh, Premiership Rugby. You might even get the Champions Cup, but don't quote me on that. You get a lot of high-value sports franchises there. Things that the fans want to see. And it helps fill your schedule. So you have to fill it with recycled boxing content. You also get access to, you know, obviously you get the rights. You get the infrastructure. You get some of the equipment. And because you're working with Eddie, actually, you're just buying. You're buying in services. So you're not necessarily having to put a tremendous amount of infrastructure down. You don't even have to. Your roots aren't that deep because you're just buying things in. So I can see DAZN making a bid. It makes perfect sense. This is their kind of do-or-die moment because they can get access to a million subscribers straight away by buying BT. And then what do you do? Do you say, well, we're going to cut your subscription from whatever it is, $9.99 a month to $4.99 a month. And then that will become the market norm for everyone on DAZN. But I can see that happening. It's just a much better fit. It, and what it does is it makes the market more competitive. And that's what we asked for. I don't think ITV really need it. I don't think Channel 5 really need it. So I can genuinely see that being a, a zone play. But don't quote me on that. We'll see how it plays out. And in completely unrelated news, Canelo now claims that in his prime, he could defeat a prime Floyd Mayweather. Now, I don't really understand that statement. I love Canelo. I think Canelo is the best of his generation. But is he light years different to the kid who lost to Floyd Mayweather? No. And I'm not trying to hear all of this, ah, uh, Floyd hurt him with the weight, he did this, he did that. You have to remember, Floyd Mayweather's a natural 135 guy. 
Had the money in boxing been at 135, Floyd would have boxed at 135 his whole career and not had trouble making that weight. So when you talk about prime Mayweather at 135 pounds, are you talking about a prime Canelo at 160? Was 25 pounds before rehydration. So you see how ridiculous it sounds. So if you're going just on pure skills, then it's a Mayweather win straight away. If you go on power, then it's a big if is, does Canelo land those big power shots on Floyd? You look at what Miguel Cotto did, and you're like, oh, he could land some. But then he started to get picked off, and he lost heart, and he lost, I mean, he lost, no, not courage. No one say courage, but he lost the will to compete. And it's easy to see what Mayweather's become since retirement, and he's fighting McGregor, and he's doing this, and he's doing that. And people can believe that maybe his legacy wasn't what people say it is, but Jesus Christ Mayweather was good at his best. He made Juan Manuel Marquez punch air all night. And Marquez is one of the all-time greats. If Marquez and Nacho Beristan couldn't find a way past Floyd, I don't think Canelo does. And so I think we need to stop all of this as well. You know, this whole Sugar Ray would have beaten Floyd, uh, Floyd would have beaten Duran, and Hagler would have beaten, you know what I mean, one of the T-Rexes that was running across the North American plains. The reality is this. Everyone builds on everyone else. The Mayweather defeat made Canelo the man he is today. So this prime Canelo is triggered by Floyd Mayweather. And he'll do well to remember that. Because as special as Canelo is, Mayweather was a different level. But where Canelo is good, though, is taking jabs at Oscar De La Hoya. And it goes back to the podcast where I told you he never wanted to leave the zone. He just never wanted to do business with Oscar because Oscar was taking money he wasn't earning. And now Canelo makes more money and he gets to keep more of it himself. He's a smart man. And as, as he masters English, I think those interviews with Canelo will be amazing because there's so much people would probably want to ask him that we've never really got to the bottom of. So I'm looking forward to that. But you know what I'm not looking forward to? Derek Chisora versus Joseph Parker. I haven't seen a worse build-up to a fight. Like It's like Eddie's just lost interest, hasn't he? Like He's almost like, I've done my bit for Sky. I actually don't care. This card is terrible. Yes, I said it, fans. It's terrible. That's his body language at the moment. Chisora and Parker palling up, having breakfast together. This is, is this what boxing is now? Like You're not even going to try and convince me that these guys are going to really want to go at each other. You know, a big plodding Parker, and then, you know I mean, revitalized, somehow revitalized Chisora going at it. Now, people are going to tell me that ah, this has all the makings to be an all time classic. I'm like, Chisora's 38, for God's sake, or 37. And Parker, Parker should never have been at this level anyway. I keep saying this. Parker would never have won a British title. Would never have won a British title. In all of his time as a pro, there were always people here better than him. How he won a world title in a world where Derek hasn't is beyond me, well beyond me. How he could be in the running for a rematch with Joshua is even further beyond me. It's an embarrassment of a, of a headline show, but it's not an embarrassment of a card because I'm buzzing about Tasha Jonas fighting Katie Taylor. I just think that Tasha Jonas is what women's boxing needs right now. 
the longer she carries on, the better it is for all of us. She brings that class and that, that roundedness to the sport that we all appreciate as fans. And I'm also looking forward to Craig against Dimitri Bivol. I'm going to put a sneaky few quid on Craig to stop him. Then people laugh now. Oh, my God, what does he know? He knows nothing. Bivol was sick earlier this year. He might still have the after effects of the illness. He might not be able to train the way he would normally. So in my true Johnny Nelson self, I'm going to put a few quid on Craig to stop him. It's a gamble. I'm not saying it's a four. I'm not saying this is printing money like Dubois versus AJ Carter. But it's definitely worth a punt. Richards on a stoppage. But we'll find out in the first couple of rounds if the COVID's really affected him. It would make sense. Let them fight now when he's sick. Do the rematch when he's better. You know, see who the best man is. But that's going to be my my secret tip. You know, outside bet Craig Richards to stop Dimitri Bivol. You didn't think I'd be saying that a year ago, did you? Well, hasn't this been a crazy year? Jeez. Other things, let's congratulate Benjamin Whitaker. Let's congratulate Fraser Clark and the young lady whose name escapes me who all won gold medals in the tournament. Um, Siobhan Clark lost, unfortunately. I felt for him. Pat McCormack lost. Ooh, who would have thought that? So that's going to be interesting to see who actually goes to the Olympics because it looks like the Russians are really strong and the Russians are really looking for a medal count. And the Cubans have kind of kept their team and they look strong. I don't think GB looks strong for the Olympics. So if you're McCormack, do you just turn over now and go, right, I'm going with Eddie and zone? I would. I don't think McCormack wins the gold medal. I, don't think, I think the McCormack brothers should just turn over and just become like a double act like the Fail brothers are. But no, it's good to see Ben Whitaker doing his thing. I, I've said it for a long time. I've said it since 2016. I think he's the, the realest real deal we have in this country. If his chin holds up, young Benjamin Whitaker will do whatever he wants in the pros. That's all I can say on that. He will do whatever he wants in the pros. He's, he's just a different level. He's a class act. I enjoy watching him. But no, let's see what happens going into 2020. I'm still hoping my friend Jamie Shakiva makes it in at super heavyweight. That's going to be interesting. He's ranked as one of the, I think he's like the, what is he like, the second ranked African boxer? So if there are two slots available for Africa, he should get one. And so he's going through that whole dilemma of do I turn over, do I do the amateurs one for one more run? Like, I don't know what you do. I genuinely don't know what you do. But look out for him. You know, can fight. I know he's in camp with Tom Welsh at the moment, and they're out there doing their thing. You know, he's the guy. <laughs> he, he might have beaten some fear into David Adelaide, and that's the reason Team Adelaide wouldn't take the John Pilata fight. Can I say that publicly? And another guy. For me, David Adelaide should get rid of his trainer. And I'm not often a guy that wants to say that, but... You can't have someone like Frank Greaves. I don't care how embedded he is with the guys like Steve Bunce and the other, the other clowns who like to drink of the dog and duck and like to talk about the old days. I don't care how embedded he is with those guys. David Adelaide is a guy who fought no one of note in the amateurs. Didn't fight Jamie Shakiva. Didn't fight Courtney Gillette. Didn't fight Courtney Bennett. Didn't fight George Fox. Didn't fight Naylor Ball. Trying to run through the names that he could have fought. 
who were who all of equal size. He didn't fight anybody. He didn't even fight Big Hamza. Yeah, you guys haven't even seen Hamza, man. Hamza's mini Mike, by the way. And like he's just out there with this mad afro and beard, like fully Moroccan. Like he punches so hard he just gives himself hand injuries. Like, he's a scary guy. You don't want to get hit by him. So anyone who's managing or promoting, man, get hold of Hamza, man. Like he might be the the uncut gem in and amongst all of this. But we're getting sidetracked. So David Adelaide. He didn't really fight anyone in the amateurs. So you're taking someone who's essentially green, like Conor Ben Green. And so you need someone experienced to bring him along. Would he have worked with Don Charles? In some ways, yes. Other ways, I don't know. But he needs someone of that caliber. Peter Fury would have been a good one for him. This, this whole Frank, Frank Greaves thing? Nah, you're clowning me, man. You're absolutely clowning me with that. And I know I'm going to sign off because, of, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But now, guys, hope you enjoy this. Like, share, and, you know, enjoy your run into the weekend. I know it's a long one. You've got pub gardens open, so make sure you've made your reservations. Make sure you've got your track and trace. Uh -huh. And go and have a good time.